0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Celebrating Wharton's reunion weekend, you're listening to a special presentation of Leadership in Action from the Business Radio studio on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. Here again are Jeff Klein and Professor Mike Usain. Listen to all those cheering folks right outside our window here, Jeff. Uh, this is—they uh, follow you, you everywhere. They <laughs> well, I think they actually have an interest in Sirius XM Radio, which is what we're doing right now. This is a special edition of our weekly program, Jeff Leadership in Action. Uh, speaking to Jeff, Jeff Klein here is the executive director of the McNulty Leadership Program. I'm Mike Hussein, and I'm with that program as well. And we have the privilege now of meeting here in the studio with one of our very own graduates. She's back for her reunion, Claire LeBrunnery, who is head of global distribution of Sky Harbor Capital Management. I'm going to say, Claire, great to have you in the studio. I'm going to say a couple other things about your background, and then I'll have you say a couple words about Sky Harbor Capital Management got quite a resume in, in the places as a finance industry executive you have worked. You've been with PepsiCo, GE Capital, Adelphia Communication, J.P. Morgan. Before that, uh, here for your MBA, and then prior to that, you've completed a degree at Stanford University. So, Claire, welcome to the program. Great Thank to you. have you here. Thanks for having me. So just a couple words about Sky Harbor Capital Management, and then, of course, what you do yourself, and we're going to ask all about your leadership therein.
1: Okay, great. Sky Harbor is uh, an asset management company focused on leveraged credit and high yield bonds in particular. We have two flagship strategies, um, which together comprise almost $6 billion in assets into management. And um, the founders of the company have worked together in the high yield industry for about 30 years.
0: Mm-hmm. Your clients are the big, the big guys, the big institutions.
1: Yes, primarily institutional investors. Although we do have some um, limited partnerships in the United States, and we have about three billion of our assets are located in a UCITS fund in Luxembourg, which means we do get some retail.
0: And say what you actually do within all the above.
1: So what I started at Sky Harbor mm. in two thousand thirteen, early thirteen, as uh, the chief operating officer. And um, that we're a very flat organization, about 27 people total, and there's really just the founders are in charge. Um, so everybody's very transversal. And after about three years in the COO role, I switched to head of global distribution. At Sky, what that means is uh, really working on strategies and prioritizing entry into new markets and mm-hmm. identifying investors and working quite closely with uh, third-party marketing teams overseas.
0: There, you have all the fun. <laughs> a question on going back one notch in your career. As Chief Operating Officer, uh, Jeff and I love to hear more from that perch wh- about what it takes to function in the C suite or to take on a role where you have to do everything. So, as you became COO, wh- what was the learning curve like and what did it require you didn't do before?
1: Right, so I actually probably need to back up for that. I had um, I was working nonstop um, out of business school on a full-time basis until I had my third child in 2001, and then I had another girl after that, so I've got four girls. So by 2001, I was no longer working full-time anymore, and I spent about eight years, nine years working part-time, and it took a while to get back into the workforce, and I did that through Pepsi. Um, I met the founder of the company, um, In a social situation, and she listened to a little bit of my background, and she said, I'm looking for a chief operating officer, and what I need is probably a single parent, probably of multiple (laughs) kids, someone with a little gray hair, of which I have a lot. Um, She goes, really, a mom is a chief operating officer. (laughs) I'd had some um, experience working for uh, a nonprofit company And that was another feature that she said was pretty important because people who have worked in nonprofit, they don't need entourages. They can roll up their sleeves. They do the work. They can send their own faxes. So to answer your question, I had really nothing that would have equipped me in a traditional sense for a chief operating executive um, or a chief executive role in any way, no (laughs) C-level.
0: I do want to turn that upside down as I turn the baton over to Jeff here. Uh, Jeff, I don't think we've ever appreciated it, but may it be a matter of record that a great foundation to become a chief operating officer is to be a mom. Exactly. (laughs) Write write that down.
2: Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, it. We talk about leadership a lot being um, this process of muddling through, right, and, you know, kind of understanding the environment that we're a part of, dealing with the issues as they come up. I I can think of no person more qualified than a mom. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, that's kind. I mean, you do actually learn to, you know, you have to put things into perspective, prioritize, (laughs) you know, less drama is better, um, roll with the punches a little bit, so,
2: yeah. So, as you're, uh, I'm curious. As you're back here on campus, um, and you you have an MBA here. You did work in international relations both at, at Columbia and Stanford. And so, um, if we if we were able to go back and and talk to Claire, maybe pre undergraduate days, do you think you'd say to us twenty, thirty, whatever years from now? I will probably no. be the global head of distribution, having just rolled out of being a chief operating officer. No,
1: not in the least. And that, you know, that's um, actually right before I went to Stanford, the, um, the admissions officer spoke to our whole entering class. And the one word out of that whole speech, which is just lost in a lot of dead brain cells, right. was serendipity. And I think that's really that describes my career perfectly. Um, you know, stay relevant if you can mm-hmm. keep learning. But luck is going to play a really big role. Right. Um, w- at pre-Stanford, I thought that I would go into maybe the Foreign Service, something international, mm-hmm. um, but I really had no great idea of what that would be.
2: Mm-hmm. And what was appealing to you about those kinds of roles, Foreign Service, international work?
1: I love to travel. Okay. Um, I studied French and German growing up and throughout high school and then continued those languages through college. Languages were, for some reason, pretty easy. Later on, I learned Spanish. Mm-hmm. So um. Yeah, I, you know, I, I liked international, I liked travel. It was no more mature thinking than that, was I should pick something that will get me overseas a lot.
2: Uh, and to what degree, you know, not, not just within your role at, at Sky Harbor, but across the um, variety of experiences you've had at Pepsi, at GE, at Adelphia, to to what degree were you able to, you know, kind of keep that love and that passion for travel and, and language and culture alive?
1: Well, um, yeah, good question. You know, some of my jobs did involve extensive travel. Um, when I was working for J.P. Morgan, that was uh, that was the first job where I was actually posted overseas. Mm. I spent two years in Mexico City doing new business development there, so that was um, pretty directly overseas. At I worked with uh, their international group doing acquisitions of cable franchises throughout Latin America. And in the course of doing that, I pretty much hit every Latin American country, talking to small operators and kind of compiling licenses. Um, GE Capital that was purely international. It was a lot of travel, buying bad debt from all over the world. Hmm. And then there was the long period when I was just a mom, and so mm-hmm. then I had to be satisfied with just travel from time to time. <laughs> well, um, travel travel yeah. becomes different. It's, yeah, it's sort it, of from here a, a little, little soccer field or the, work, the, yes. the school <laughs> play, right? <laughs> That's right. That's
0: right. Uh, Claire, I can't resist asking. Uh, An earlier question I had now in reverse. So as COO, Chief Operating Officer, and picking up on an academic argument that our private life informs our public life, but it also goes the other way around. So what did you take out of your role as Chief Operating Officer that you've ended up using at home?
1: That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I it's probably a self-reinforcing thing. I was hired a little bit because people thought that I could put out fires and multitask. <laughs> and I think what I've learned is that I can be much calmer at home. I can take a breath. And the same professional qualities you need so that you're not just erupting in the workplace, that you listen very carefully and you think about what the right response is, that you're nuanced in your response you can bring that into the house as opposed to just thinking I'm the boss. I'm the one and only boss of Mm -hmm. all of these kids. You know, that's not realistic. You need to listen. So it's, it's helped a little bit in that
0: way. Claire reminds me of a moment that we uh, witnessed Jeff and I witnessed at one of our annual leadership conferences we do every year here. We had the, at that time, the deputy U S attorney general here as a speaker she had a huge job. Think about the current deputy attorney general in Washington and all that he's going through. Anyway, the speaker, then deputy attorney general, said that uh, day's incredibly tense, fast moving, and it was really great to get home. And she had, I think, three children. And quick response was that she came in kind of all frazzled and stressed out. Kid said, hey, Mom. Uh,
1: <laughs> what's for dinner? <laughs> like, what's up? Yeah. Can you
0: help me with my homework? And don't tell me about your problems with the United States. We, we, got, a, we got a family. So but there have been it, a few moments like that.
1: Uh, completely. Yeah. It's a reality check. You're just totally. yeah, your mom.
0: Uh, Claire, just to shift ground a little bit here, uh, a lot of our listeners are not in financial services, but I think they're eager to learn what they can from people who have led whatever the area But speaking of financial services, maybe your days now, but going back to GE Capital or JPMorgan Chase, how would you capture maybe in a couple sentences what it takes to be effective, whatever the role you have in helping other people get their job done?
1: Yeah. Another good question. Um, you know, I think it's it, it has to be customized. It has to be bespoke. Everybody needs something different. Some people want to be left alone and very hands-off. Other people really want to be able to iterate and go through a discussion about it. So I'd say I tend to be more hands-off. I wait and watch and let people come to me. And I'm I'm actually trying to work on that because... If you're hands-off too much, you Mm -hmm. let people write the narrative about you. So I do try to get out and talk or just walk around um, listening, seeing if anybody has any questions, not just stay holed up in my office um, Mm -hmm. and let people come to me.
0: We had a guest on the show a couple months ago who used the phrase eyes on but hands-off. Yeah. You're kind of keeping –
1: I think that's a that's a fair way to put yeah. it um, m- you know we're all we're all mature, and most of the organizations I've worked with are very flat i 've never really been in a very hierarchical organization and um, even you'd say j p Morgan is pretty hierarchical, but I was in the Mexico City team, which was again pretty flat, and we're all pretty much the same level so it's really more about listening and yep. seeing whether anybody you know we're working as a team does
0: anybody need any support? Claire, I need to remind our listeners that they are tuned in to Reunion Radio, Wharton School Leadership in Action. Uh, that's us, Sirius XM, Channel 111. That's what you've got there on your dial. I'm your host, Mike Yuseem. I'm with Jeff Klein, and we're talking with Claire Brunier, Head of Global Distribution for Sky Harbor Capital Management.
2: So, Claire, earlier uh, when you were, you were kind of referencing mm-hmm. your career, you are talking about the role of serendipity. Um, and and the the set of opportunities that have been there, um, it, it also strikes me as as I just look across your resume that um, there's a degree of courage that's involved too as you move from from role to role and situation to situation which feel really new. Um, what supports yeah. that courage?
1: Yeah, I, I okay. I'm not going to have a great answer for that because it doesn't feel courageous as much as it feels like you're looking at a couple of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And you think, and you think, and then I get out and I run, or I get you know some
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: fresh air, and then the answer comes. And the, the classic um, example of that in mine, it, it felt like it took a lot of courage, um, but it was the move to Sky Harbor. And I'd been working for a nonprofit for about a year. It was part of this sort of long, slow transition after the crash of 2008 to get back into the workforce. And I was really not that happy at the nonprofit. I knew I needed to make a move. And I had lined up job offers at two or three other nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Um, Based on the last year, you'd been good as a fundraiser. You can keep on doing that. And this job at Sky Harbor came out at me, and I thought to myself, I've never been a chief operating officer. This is going to be a big fail. I will not be able to do this. And I spent probably a good week thinking I could take this job, which sounds like a great, interesting opportunity at Sky Harbor, but I'm probably going to fail. Or I could do something that I know I could do, but it's really not as good a trajectory. And, you know, I thought and I thought and I finally just sort of jumped and said, Mm -hmm. you know, let's try Sky Harbor. I think, um, and I do have a major fail that was born out of doing, taking a job that, you know, I was trying to learn multiple new things at once. And that, that was sort of destined to fail. And at least with Sky Harbor what I saw. Was there were some basic skills that I'd already done. It was mm-hmm. maybe a new industry for me, but I could do the skills. I had the I had the knowledge to do it. Mm-hmm. You know it doesn't work out so well when you go and you try to do. um you know a classic example was after working at Pepsi for a couple of years and something I understood well, it was a contract job, again, getting back into the workforce. I took the not-so-brilliant decision to go join their trading team, which would have been a permanent job had it worked out. And I was trying to learn trading for the first time in my life and hedging uh, commodities. Mm -hmm. Um, So trading derivatives and commodities, I'd never done either. And I thought, you you know, lesson now that I look back, don't take on too much. If you're trying to learn two or three new things at the same time as starting on a new team, it's not going to work. And after about three months, I knew I wasn't going to last there, and I jumped pretty quickly um, to the nonprofit. Yeah, Before they could fire me, I left. You know, So that's probably my biggest fail in terms of a job.
2: Mm. Um, maybe to, to- – just follow up on that uh, a little bit I mean I think we talk a lot about the role of stretch experiences Mm -hmm. um, within leadership development and part of um, part of the joy of of our work here and working with students um, is we get to sit back and kind of create stretch experiences put people in new environments you know new teams teach them new skills what is it for you as you would enter one of these new roles and, and you're acknowledging there are new things that, mm-hmm. that you're going to have to learn to be successful? Um, you know, where is it that you would either go for support or for guidance um, or for uh, access to, to new or different kinds of information?
1: Well. I've one of the first things I do is look for maybe a mentor, mm-hmm. um, you know, just and that's not as magical as it sounds. It's just finding a couple people that you have a good rapport with and you can. And go this is ask typically some, with, like within the organization, within the organization. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, who can I sit down and talk to, you know, over a coffee or over lunch and mm-hmm. say, you know, how does this work? And, you know, how do I relate to these people and work with this team or that team? That's been invaluable in some of the bigger companies is finding a couple people that make it feel smaller Mm -hmm. and more digestible. Mm -hmm.
2: Now, long-running debate on this show about mentors, um, and that is, do you ever acknowledge to the person um, who is serving in that role that they are a mentor, or is it something that's left kind of unspoken?
1: For me, it's been unspoken. What's the debate? Uh, (laughs) Just whether or
2: not – some will say, (laughs) you know, I – I really like to be explicit so that my mentor knows the ways in which I rely on him or her. And others say, the moment I say that, it changes the relationship, right? And it, yeah. it becomes formal in a way that, I, that I'm that i not seeking. And so I don't think there's a right answer to this, but it's been just an ongoing curiosity for me yeah. over these years.
1: Well, for me, it's been informal. But I have heard that some larger companies do have a formal process where they assign you a mentor. Right, um, right. And that's it's even... It's not a bad idea.
2: Yeah. The, the structured mentoring programs are interesting um, in that they create a lot of access mm-hmm. for folks, though it... Um, it's a different way to develop relationships, I think, right? This yes. is um, you know, more in the spirit of and I, I kind of have my own funny story about this, um more in the spirit of a someone that you develop a relationship with, but then you want them to know, hey, You're serving in this kind of role. And I actually have a mentor here at at Penn who for years and years I would ask him for advice and he would say to me, um, well, if I was your mentor, the way I would answer that question is – and then would go on. And it was – I kind of chuckled and then I forgot about it for a while and then I heard him say it in a time where I was particularly stressed out and I just stopped and I said, okay – Clearly you are my mentor. Right. So we can yeah. we can do away with the preamble here and let's just yeah. get to the advice. Um, yeah. but for him I think that became significant. Um yeah. and I noticed he became more proactive after that. Yeah. And so it, it's just one of these ongoing kind of intellectual debates I've been having with with guests and myself.
1: Yeah, I will say it's Sky Harbor um, you know, moving into the new role that was essentially just a mom role. What they did do that was terrific was you know, I was given one of the principals of the company, a young guy who'd worked with the founders for about 10 years on the investing side. Mm -hmm. And he let me spend about two weeks just sort of reading and talking and learning what everybody was doing. And then he said, you know what, at three o'clock every day, we're going to come in, you're going to just sit here and go through what I'm working on every day. And we probably did that for six months. And you know, you'd have personal conf- conversations, a lot of professional conversations. You'd actually do tasks. So mm-hmm. I ended up really learning that job where there wasn't a formal training program, but that was about as formal as it could get. And, you know, I would say he's probably one of the mentors in my company now. Super. super helpful. Like
0: Clara, a term comes to mind. We actually use it at the top of the hour as we got going, Reinvention. So just reflecting on what you've said, it's pretty obvious you've had to reinvent yourself or you have reinvented yourself a couple times. So take one of those times. uh, How did you do it? Why did you do it? And what what happened during that moment of reinvention?
1: Yeah. um, You know, so if you look at my bio, I've had a lot of different jobs. Usually finance is the common theme, but a lot of different functions in finance and you know, the other the other backdrop to that is that, you know, jobs are changing so frequently and the skills that you need for the job are really different. And, you know, I guess one, I'd say I've been doing corporate banking straight out of Wharton. I'd gone to work. Um, I was the manager of corporate finance for the U.S. division of Sumitomo Trust. And, you know, it was it was very, even though it was a Japanese bank, it was very U.S.-based and I'd always wanted to do international. And I started networking a little bit to see how I could make the transition to international get into emerging markets, and I noticed that I was going to need Spanish. So I started learning on my own Spanish, and I got to the point where I was semi-conversational, and then my interviews picked up, and I ended up getting the job on the Mexico desk at JPMorgan Chase um, based on the international experience I'd had pre-Wharton and the banking experience I had at Sumitomo Trust and the fact that I had taught myself Spanish, at least a semi-functional Spanish.
0: That's great. Good example. We're almost out of time, and I'm going to make it very personal here in a a final couple of minutes with you. If we look out the window right behind where I'm sitting, there are a whole lot of people who are on the verge of graduation. It's going to happen tomorrow or Monday. And if uh, Jeff and I, we did graduate a couple of years ago, but if we were about to graduate (laughs) with the benefit of looking back on reinvention and what you've done and the international and all that, give us a couple of lines of advice. We're all ears
1: Yeah. uh, You know, I don't know that I'm the best person to be giving advice because serendipity has played such a role, but I'd say, you know, stay prepared, um, keep learning, um, kind of look a few steps ahead, and try not to take it super seriously. I mean, especially if you're going into finance, there's going to be so many changes, and take a deep breath and sort of look ahead and say, you know what, if I'm not going on a straight upward trajectory, it's okay. Enjoy life a little
0: bit. Yep. Great.
2: So, as you walk around campus and um, reconnect with classmates and everything else, what do you, I have a two part question for you um, about the role that education played so looking back both your time here at Wharton and other universities, what are you really grateful for um, in terms of the the knowledge skills that that education gave you, and then what do you wish you had learned? Um, oh, that maybe you had to wait until later to figure out?
0: Um, Besides Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay, let me
1: branch out. Um, you know, I'm really grateful for the friends I made here. And I probably, you know, I spent a fair amount of time off campus and working overseas while I was here. So I have fewer than the typical Wharton person mine have made. but. I have a dozen good friends that I really value. I enjoy spending time with them, and they're people that I can call and mm-hmm. connect with. So that's terrific. It's kind of trite, but it's the people. And then, um, you know, on a simpler on a simpler front, you know, just the ability to sort of um, apply, you know, I guess a framework, um, even graphing, you know, to be able to flowchart the mm-hmm. businesses and the sort of common sense decisions. Um, to be able to do that in the, I've taken that through every single job I have.
2: Fantastic, yeah. so yeah. and and that's um, uh, that's reassuring for us to hear as educators and instructors because we spend a lot of time on those frameworks. Yeah. So to, to know that they're out there and and being and used. And being, being used being applied.
0: Yeah. Claire, great to have you on the program. And if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about you or Sky Harbor Capital Management, where would they go?
1: Sky Harbor Capital Management has a website, and also we have Sky Harbor Global Funds, and I'm on LinkedIn.
0: All right. Fantastic. Thank you for being in the studio with us. Appreciate you coming back for your reunion. And, Claire, our custom is to, for Jeff and myself to take uh, literally about two minutes here, Jeff, to reflect on what we've heard, what we want to hang on to, the after-action review.
2: All right. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I I think there's some commonality in these conversations that we've had, right, about – both about what's happening in the external world and how that connects to what's happening internally for you. And so when I when I think about Gopi and the conversation we had with him yeah. and the role that things like yoga and meditation and the ancient wisdoms, as he described them, play um, in his strategies to stay grounded in a very fast world, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I think that reinforces a conversation that we are frequently having here. Um when I think about the conversation that we're just wrapping up with Claire, I mean, there's, there's something that's similar to that, right? It's about how do you stay connected to the world, be open to the kinds of opportunities um, that become available, Um, you know, use the same kind of, of personal space to make a decision, right? And in Claire's case, she talked (coughs) about, you know, I'll go for a run. And then, you know, towards the end of that run, a decision becomes more clear. Um, But also you know, using the family, using um, the network of friends, using uh, you know the locations that we're in to really serve um, as that grounding force in a fast-paced world.
0: Great point, Jeff. And uh, I guess great minds think alike on this one. I had the same. Actually, the notes right in here, in front of me. You can't. Uh, you can't copy on the exam. <laughs> <like>. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll give you full credit. So uh, I'm just saying what Jeff told me to say on. Work and family or who you are and friends, both vital. It's who it is who we are. Yeah. It's it's work and it's family. And the extent to we can get them to work together in some way, and one informing the other, we tend to use the word balance, but I think that under appreciates uh, what you can do taking from one realm and helping it helping you inform your other realm. I think the other notable thing from Claire in particular was the importance of Periodic reinvention, really rethinking who you are. The world's changing. we got to make a few changes along the way. And then back to Gopi, who was chief evangelist for brand marketing at Google, Gopi Khalil. He said uh, 10x improvement is what he's doing, is what Google does. So be ambitious. What do you think? We're okay? I think so. All right. Listen, everybody, we're going to sign off here. Appreciate your joining us want to just, uh, in particular, thank our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Deion Simpkins. I am Mike Yusem. I'm with Jeff Klein. And, of course, you have been listening to Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, special reunion edition, Leadership in Action. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.